Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. I'm uh, here on the Irish Tech Podcast, and I'm talking with Eddie Shee from New Annex. So tell me a bit about the background of the company. search for these things? What algorithms does it use? Oh, it uses a lot. Um, we look at data in the binary level, so the ones and zeros, and we've reverse engineered all of the major and minor file types that are in, in usage and have been in use for the last 10 or 15, maybe even 20 years now. So that it allows us to process through the data really quickly so that and then we put it inside a structured environment like our, our own databases and then we draw the links between all the data so an email might um, have an attachment and the attachment might have an embedded image inside that but that document might be a, the attachment might be a word document that might have similar content to a powerpoint document or an excel file or a word doc or a non-text searchable pdf and we we link all that information together so that it becomes as easy as possible for uh, journalists and investigators to find the information in, in very, very large amounts of data as quickly as possible. So, uh, for example, uh, when you were working pen and papers, how did that come about? Did they contact you and say, want well, to use, use your technology? We've been working with the um, ICIJ, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, for about four to five years. And this isn't the first time that we've uh, provided our software. In fact, I think they've must have done at least six or seven at this stage. So um, when this one came, it was a, a it was a lot more data than they're used to getting. Uh, so we uh, did sit down with them and help them spec out the uh, the hardware that they were going to need to use uh, for this because it was a relatively I won't say it was a very complex data, but there was lots of uh, difficult data within it. So there was over 3 million non-tech searchable documents. So, you know, rather than you know, uh, being a Word document, there was a picture of a Word document. So we had to extract all the text out of those documents in the same way as we extracted it out of um, every other type of document. And then we, um, uh, it was just to, to make it as easy and effective uh, to search um, for the journalists. So I guess it was taking a long time to, to get the algorithm set up for this, because if you search to pictures, it's harder than searching to a text document. Well, you say an algorithm, I wouldn't say there is just one. I would say that we use hundreds upon hundreds of different algorithms um, to extract the text, metadata, and images, and to voice out of all of those um, formats. Because uh, every, every format is different, and then lots of formats become corrupted 
and we are expected to be able to deal with those corruptions as if they weren't there. So it's not just one algorithm, it's, there's hundreds and hundreds of them, but then the sophistication is in how do you help people to be able to search that data to get what they want, um, and how do you link all that data together. So, for example, um, one of the, the, the things that we do are we, we bubble to the top information that we think you might be interested in. So, for example, in this case, uh, company names, um, IP addresses, email addresses, websites, credit card details, um, currency amounts, um, uh, any type of personally identifiable information, um, town, cities, and country names, uh, so that uh, all of that information is available when the journalist, let's say the journalist is from Australia, um, he or she may be much more interested in Australian um, companies that are interac interacting or transacting through Panama. So they could just filter it down to that set of data. And then once they you know, get in and start looking at that subset of data, we have them then to link it all together. So and it links to the documents, as I said, and links to all the attachments. And we will um, try to bubble up to the top and make it as easy as possible for people to, to do those searches. So how much data was review that data? So how much data was involved searching through? In this case, there was two point six terabytes of data, which was uh, eleven and a half million documents. That's a lot of documents, and how long did it take to go through all that? Um, well, the the data was um, was stolen from um, the. Panama law, uh, the law firm, uh, Masak Fonseca, um, over a period of time, it would seem. So it came into the journalists in dribs and drafts, um, but if it had all been together in one uh, in one place, we would typically, on a, uh, with the right hardware, get through that in about a day. That's pretty impressive to get through that in one day. And what kind of hardware are you looking at using for, to do um, this? Obviously, need um, you know five, six to ten terabytes worth of storage. Uh, to be honest with you, this would be no more than a five to six thousand pounds um, server. That's not too bad. I, I thought it'd be a lot more than that. Where you need to do that no. because there's a lot of data. That's not that's kind of kind of price range that uh, is affordable and doable. Um, uh, we're we're very efficient with hardware. Yeah. Um, uh, and and resources. So yes, but I mean, there's there's lots of organisations or customers who would not just do one Panama Papers. They could do you know four or five in a day because that's how many court cases they help their clients with. Um, so we have I mean, the biggest case that we ever did had almost four billion documents, which was three point one billion emails. Um, there was four hundred and sixty million Word documents and 330 million Excel files and a bunch of other stuff. So we made all of that searchable. Um, that actually took us about 45 days, uh, but that, uh, that was with hardware and, store and software that we had available about three or four years ago. Um, nowadays, we would be able to do that significantly quicker.
And is, is any file harder to search through or is there any issues with, with that? Um, you're talking about the quality of search? Yeah. Um, search is, the bigger the volume of data, the more resources and more RAM that the, um, uh, you'd like to allocate to the search. But you know, typically our search is second or sub-second, uh, but that really depends on how complex that search is. If, it, if what you want to do is take all of those 11 and a half million documents and deduplicate all of them against each other, that might take a few minutes. But if all you're really trying to do is search for everything that has the word cork in it um, and uh, from Roland Leonard, um, that will take just a fraction of a second. And I guess if you did like certain PDF files or Word files, which files are we just to search through? Average customer, what kind of size files are you looking at? Um, I would say that the uh, Panama Papers is a pretty typical size case nowadays for lots of organizations. Um, I think there's a lot of small cases um, where you might be looking at one hard drive or a couple of telephones, but nowadays I think most. Um, Investigative agencies, law enforcement, regulatory organizations would always say now that they're rarely talking in a terabyte. They're usually talking at somewhere between one and five terabytes. And then the big cases are much greater than that. So I guess uh, right now, if you get any other, any other big clients coming up soon with new Panama style type uh, stories? Well, they would never come to us with the data, but they might come to us and ask us, for the software. Um, we uh, we never touch the data for any of our clients, really. Uh, it's only in the very rare case that we actually do the work ourselves. Um, I'm quietly certain that there will continue to be, uh, there will be a next Panama Papers, um, just because, um, just like Edward Snowden and Bradley Chelsea Manning and a whole bunch of other uh, people over the years have brought information out of organizations and um, I think that's a, a way forward. And uh, right now, because Pat are, are you guys now more known worldwide because of that? Or were you known before that? Um, I think it's fair to say that we've got a very long-serving and very loyal and very happy, I would hope, um, customer base. But when this broke, um, we've had almost 10,000 articles um, either about us are talked about us um, and being the technology behind the Panama Papers investigation. That's that's a kind of, a, in a sense, it's more or less giving you a, a bigger, wider profile. I think that's fair 
useful in a lot of the conversations that we've had over the years, over the last few weeks. People have an instant recognition of the Panama Papers, um, and those who have looked into the detail of it or, or were intrigued by it, a lot of them knew uh, that, that we were behind it or became uh, cognizant of our part of it. I can say that we've had conversations with lots of security agencies who, whose first time knowing about us was through the Panama Papers. And in the next five years, how do you tend on expanding your uh, technology? Um, well, we look at data in the binary form, in the ones and zeros. So once you look at data at that level, and you can you can control it and, and tell the stories of that data, you can do a lot of things. So uh, cybersecurity is definitely um, a big one. We're just about to bring out a, um, a rather amazing piece of technology to help people uh, um, not get breached, but if they are, to identify that there's a bad actor um, in your network, and also to help remediate it as quickly as possible once um, once it has been identified. But we've also um, uh, brought out uh, the next version of our core software, which allows organizations to search uh, very, very massive amounts of data very quickly. So. Not just a single case, but you might be uh, undertaking an investigation, but some pertinent information might actually uh, reside in a case that you did two years ago or three years ago. So being able to um, move your searches from not just that case, but across your entire archive of cases is, uh, is very important. Uh, and uh, that will be um, that's a large part of our, of our future uh, strategy as well. And it gets us hardware improves. You come back with older files that the concerns now they couldn't do maybe ten years ago because they they've got more storage, a lot faster machines, and your hardware, your software can handle that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we were very lucky the way we well we, we did it by design, uh, but as hardware uh, and storage and uh, memory and networks get faster. We are the um, absolute recipients of uh, better performance. So, you know, what would have been a, a $10,000 box or hardware um, five years ago um, for the same money you can get now get infinitely better um, resources and, 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 and value for your money. We will similarly run that much faster. So, is your software. Uh I think it's fair to say we stand on the, on, on the uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, go ahead, sorry, sorry. Sorry, on you go, sorry. I was just going to say, we, we definitely stand on the on the shoulders of a lot of giants uh, in what we do. So is your software uh, class cloud-based, uh, cloud SaaS-based? Um, it can be, but by and large, people don't. Um, when you're looking at the volumes of data that we, we look at, you typically have to have our software near that data. Um, so if the data is in the cloud, then you'd put our software in the cloud. But a lot of the time, um, the, the volume of data isn't in the cloud and uh, as such behind the firewall uh, environments or private cloud is more often the, the environment we go into. So do customers buy your software, can they buy it per, uh, per usage or do they pay a monthly yearly fee? Most of our um, clients will pay a, an annual fee. Um, 
but we do have a usage model. It's just that uh, it's it's not a uh, very few people want would prefer to do it that way because it's it's definitely uh, a, a more inexpensive solution to do it by the year. However, we also bring out a um, we, we've got a bit of a philanthropic background, and we have a product called Proofbinder, uh, which uh, we sell for a hundred dollars for a year. And that allows you to process up to 15 gigs of data, which is, uh, you know, a pretty sizable PST file. Um, and we give all of that, all of that money that we raise to uh, a charity that builds schools and libraries in third world uh, and funds the uh, the education of growth. That's pretty impressive. So that you guys are giving back to the community as well, which is kind of nice to see. We also have regularly provided software for child protection agencies and some universities as well as uh, the ICIJ. Um, I think um, giving back is, uh, is part of us uh, and the way that we fulfill the mission that we have. Uh, we have an internal mission to protect and enable the world that we live in. We uh, make the software that puts a lot of bad guys in prison and I think there's a that gives us a lot of us um, some warm and fuzzies when we go to sleep every night. So when you guys are catching bad guys, do you ever go and use, is it when you ever use it for stuff in the dark web? Or dark net, for example? Um, the answer is kind of twofold. Um, there's definitely uh, a lot of, when law enforcement do, do some of those collections, that obviously ends up in our software at some stage. And we don't typically crawl the dark web. There are other technologies that would be much more effective and efficient and directed at that. Um, however, we, we do um, have lots of intersections with um, uh, cyber security and, uh, and hackers, etc. And also, if, for example, uh, somebody uh, got a data breach and uh, someone said, somebody found out that the files were being sold online, could your software be used? to check if that data breach off data is for sale? Um, no, um, not, you wouldn't use us to, to scan the web to identify that. What you would use us to is to um, do two things. Historically, a lot of organizations would have used our software to work out what was stolen. Um, there's lots of, of the world's biggest hacks. Um, that have gone on have used NUIX to identify the exact uh, the nature of the material that was stolen. Um, but increasingly, um, we also have technology that's designed to stop people getting hacked, or if they have been hacked, to uh, identify it and remediate it really quickly. So, for example, if for example somebody came to you and said, "We've been hacked and uh, data breach, and we found this uh, website selling uh, some files." Could you check those files and see if, if they're the uh, missing, if they're the stolen data? Um, we could, if so long as you had access to the data, yes. But yeah. we're, we don't go out typically into the into the web and, and you know, uh, break into um, uh, websites and, uh, and servers. But what we would do is go into your organization identify how you were breached, help you fix that breach, 
show you what was stolen, show you how they entered your network, how they went around your network, what information did they look at, and what did they steal. Um, they're the things that we would do more within the organization than externally. And what common cause do you find for a data breach that you think are easy to fix? Um, I suppose uh, we're not typically in the services company, a, a services game, we're actually a software game. Um, 95% of our um, software, oh, sorry, 95% of our turnover is software based. But for breach investigations, you know, we would do typically, uh, it, it would be today about a 40 hour um, analysis and that might go up to 80 depending on how complex it was. But our suggestion to all of our customers who do take those kind of services from us are saying, don't do it that way, do it the new way and help us allow, put our software on your machine so that you won't get breached again. That's, uh, that's typically the breach, right, or I, the, the way yeah. that breaches are investigated. So I guess if somebody installs your software, there's, no. a, there's a less chance of a breach happening in the future. That's exactly what we're building. Um, we've been passionate about that now for a long time. And, um, if you, uh, at the moment, there's a, uh, a conference on in London called uh, InfoTech Europe, and we're showing off our rather unique technology that helps people just do that and, um, and stop getting breached in the first place. But we all know that there's, if there's a, a dedicated hacker who wants your information, there's virtually no way to keep them out if they have enough resources. But what we can, what we can do then is identify that they're in the network and remediate them as quickly as possible. So nobody's going to ever keep you 100% safe, and it's how quickly will they um, make you safe thereafter, and what percentages of, of times are they keeping the bad guys out. Um, I think uh, that's pretty fair that any organization will tell you that it's now not a game of how do you keep the hacker out, it's how do you reduce uh, the length of time that they're in your network, how do you remediate it as quickly as possible? And how do you make sure they steal nothing of any value? Is there any way, for example, that you could actually uh, get guys who breach system could end up just being uh, forced to steal dummy data? Is that possible? Forced to steal dummy data? data? Like if you have somebody breaching a company and your software can actually generate forced, forced dummy data. data. Yeah. Data that, that means nothing to... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we call them honeypots, um, so we will absolutely use that as well as, well as many other techniques to uh, distract uh, the attacker. I mean, I can tell you that um, a good hacker over the years will, when he is uh, going around your network, will leave lots of false positives, lots of trails to, to, for you to go down and waste your time. Um, and I would say that software manufacturers have learned from the creativity of hackers. So do you see any more major breaches happening in a few years that you guys will probably be uh, helping to stop ha happening? Oh, I think there's, um, I think the two most, um, uh, the two trades that you will never run out of business in for the next 20 to 30 years are 
cybersecurity professionals and hackers. Um, there is so many organizations outside there that have so much valuable information and data. Um, there is a dark web that allows them to sell it. Um, so there's, there's jobs on both sides. Um, don't get me wrong, I think we're going to do a really good job in a lot of places to reduce the potency of their attacks. But it's, um, it's a massive, massive effort. Uh, just in one um, variant of CryptoLocker last year, there was, I think it was about 360,000 versions of, of it uh, in one 12-month period. So if you can generate that many versions of the same software in 365 days, there's lots of people outside there making an awful lot of money. It'll take a long time to stop them. Yeah, because that, that, that hit, that hit here. People are creative. Yeah, because a few years ago, they came in Ireland and it was called the Garda virus. When that came in, uh, once you got that in your system, it's hard, it hard to get rid of it unless you paid the uh, ransom fine. Yeah. Um, so unless you actually could uh, roll back your, um, your uh, system to a, an earlier uh, version, which they may have encrypted as well, um, you know, quite often it does become easier to pay the ransom, which, you know, just makes it an exceptionally lucrative place for the, the hacker. Um, or else you need to be able to wipe your database and, or wipe your computer and, and move on with the knowledge that you just lost that data, which you might not be able to live with, because that data could be very important to you. I guess if you're an organization, you're backing data all the time, so to get a backup of old data is easier, where for a home user, it's kind of harder to do that. You're absolutely right. Um, I think um, the quality of solutions that uh, we need to bring out for not just government and not just you know uh, big enterprises, but for small organisations and, and for individuals, um, I think the battle has to be fought at the computer and the server level, and that's um, you know that's a lot of work. I mean, antivirus has been around for decades. And that does absolutely nothing um, to stop anybody putting a new variant of crypto wall on, on your machine. Um, it's um, uh, so once we bring out our solutions and, uh, and it seems to be better than anybody else's, there's still a long time for everybody to be protected. And I guess hackers will know you got any. They're going to go there and try and break into it right away. They know it's there. What does? We're going to try and make sure that what you've, what you've made is redundant to them. Oh, um, you can't underestimate the, the cleverness of, of hackers. Um, and interrupting their business model isn't, um, isn't necessarily going to be something they're going to be happy with. Uh, so, yeah, there are, um, there are implications. So I guess you've got to always stay one, one, one step ahead of them in the game and make sure that basically you're not going to be caught in back foot. Listen, um, there are lots of organizations outside there trying to do what we're doing. Um, but I do know that the more successful you get, the more um, in the limelight you become. Right. So, okay. So, uh, uh, Eddie, thanks very much for that. It was very enlightening. And I'm sure we would love to hear about what you guys have done in the future, and it's great to see a nice company 
uh, who basically who are doing well with uh, technology in a positive way, like with uh, pen and papers, and also with your security stuff that you do as well. Thank you. It's been um, I, I joined the company ten years ago this month, um, so it's been a bit of a wild ride. And um, thank you very much for your kind words. And let me continue. Thanks very much, Eddie. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye.